As a child, um, my favorite ride uh, at Disney was Peter Pan. Um, also, as an adult, my favorite ride at Disney is Peter Pan. Um, so, like, you know, there's the mountains and all that kind of stuff. But when in doubt, uh, I like to go to Peter Pan. It's got a super long line now, um, but it is what it is. I really like when you fly over London, and, like, you can see the little lights of the cars going through the streets. That's, uh, to me, exactly what I remember if I've been on a plane, you know, and you can see the kind of life happening at the micro level uh, below you. Um, but I, I have always uh, enjoyed the movie Peter Pan, the ride Peter Pan. Uh, as uh, a young person um, in the summer when we would um, be at home and be eating our peanut butter and jelly uh, for lunch, uh, Joel, my younger brother's favorite movie when he was a kid was... Uh, Peter Pan, but it was the Mary Martin, like, musical version of Peter Pan. So I've seen that on VHS an innumerable number of times. Um, but there is a, a song that Peter Pan sings called I Won't Grow Up. Uh, and he talks about, you know, all the horrible things about, you know, being an adult. You have to wear a tie in July and you have to follow... Uh, different rules and things like that, and so he's he's trying to convince the the kids and the lost boys and all that kind of stuff, you know, that you you shouldn't grow up, that that you know being an adult is a bad thing. And so as a kid, you know, you kind of want to be an adult. You want to grow up because it looks really cool. You get to make your own decisions. You get to do stuff like that. Uh, my youngest son James, who's five. Uh, has told Aaron and I on numerous occasions that he's going to move out, he's going to live by himself, so he can eat all the Fruit Loops he wants. So, you know, there are these things that as children we aspire to, like a a meal, a day of nothing but eating Fruit Loops every day. Um, One one week in our uh, small group, we, uh, we decided to do a cereal bar. Like, everybody would bring their favorite cereal, and we would, you know, have the milk, and that would be our supper instead of, like, you know, tacos or something like that, spaghetti. We would do a cereal bar, and it sounded amazing, and it looked amazing, and I got to eat all these different types of cereal that I haven't eaten since I was a kid, like honey smacks and corn pops and all this kind of stuff, and it was great until we got, like, halfway through the scripture, and we were like, oh, my gosh, that was a terrible decision. Why did we decide to have a cereal bar and gorge ourselves on all these different uh, types of cereal? You know, they, they don't get along. The, the frog was fighting with the toucan, and, you know, there were all sorts of, of things happening. Uh, and, and so sometimes, you know, as, as a child, you don't necessarily have uh, the full version of, of what it's like uh, to be an adult. Um, and there's also... I don't, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but there is this thing particularly uh, on social media called adulting. And uh, often young adults, but I guess adults of all age, bemoan uh, things that are classified as adulting. So if, if you don't know what adulting is, it's, it is just like doing the normal things that an adult would do, but it's like the super 
boring, bummer parts of being an adult, like, you know, getting up in the morning and going to work on time and sitting in traffic and paying bills and, like, things that you have to do, but things that are not necessarily at, you know, the top of your favorites list and not the things that that children aspire to do. Um, So I found a a couple tweets to maybe help you uh, uh, come up with a better definition of adulting. Um, Adulting is when you go out to buy candy and come home with vitamin C gummies. Um, Telling your friends, sorry guys, I have to work tomorrow, is the adult equivalent of, my mom said I can't go. Adulting is when you used to sneak out of your house to go to parties, but now you sneak out of parties to go back to your house. So, so you know, we, we see this kind of, you know, grass is always greener, kids want to be adults, uh, adults want to be kids, but we're going to look today um, at Matthew 18, uh, verses 1 through 5, because Jesus is, is talking to the disciples, and he tells them they need to be more like a child. So if you are using the Pew Bible, uh, it is on page 984. And uh, the subtitle here is The Greatest in the Kingdom of Heaven. And so we'll, we'll reference that in, in just a second because uh, in, Ma- in Matthew's version of the story, you don't get a lot of the background. But when you read the story in Mark and Luke, you get a little more of the background about why this question was being asked. But verse 18, or I'm sorry, chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Verse 2, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So uh, the, the background that you get if you read this story in Mark and Luke is that the disciples are arguing amongst themselves about who's going to be the greatest in heaven. And so then this, this question is posed, who will be the greatest in heaven? So like you know, Jesus often does, he doesn't just say, wow, you guys are so moronic. Why are you having this conversation? Why is this even a discussion that's going on? He, he decides to you know, give them a, a picture and give them an example of, of what they should be focusing on because clearly the disciples, much like ourselves, much like society around us, uh, we probably still have a misunderstanding. We don't have uh, you know, a good conception of what exactly Jesus is looking for and what exactly the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And so he brings this child in and he says, you know, this is what you want to be right here. You want to be like a child. When we think about, you know, some of the, the teachings of Jesus, when we think about uh, the creation story, when we think about, um, you know, uh, the Godhead three in one, there's all these huge things that my fully developed or at least mostly fully developed brain 
could really concentrate on and learn about and ruminate and read about and still not probably have the correct full understanding. And Jesus doesn't say, guys, read more. Study harder. Keep thinking and debating and arguing about it, and eventually you'll understand. And once you understand, then you'll be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. No. He says, come here, little kid, that in this society means nothing, is nothing, has no property, has no real value. And he says this. This is what you want to be like. You want to become childlike. When you're childlike, then you can enter the kingdom of heaven. Really, again, turning on its head their understanding or their thought process of what Jesus was doing and and how he was going to uh, develop or start uh, this new kingdom that he has uh, in heaven. I think you know, you, most of us are, are familiar with the, the saying, people don't, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I, I think a really significant thing that Jesus is, is teaching them here is that knowledge is not as important as your approach. So when it comes to entering the kingdom of heaven, when it comes uh, to being a follower of Jesus who is aspiring to do what he taught, it is more about how we think through the process, how we approach becoming a follower of Jesus, than it is that we have this treasure trove of knowledge. Not that reading the scripture is unimportant, not that knowing things are a bad thing, but if that's where we've got all of our vested interest, we're really missing out on what Jesus is teaching. Um, when I look at the conversation that is started about who's going to be the greatest in heaven, I can totally see myself having that conversation with somebody. Like, um, there are things that the, that the disciples do or, or did or anything, and I'm like, ah, what were they doing? I, I would have never done something like that. That was so ridiculous. This is not one of those things. I, I can totally relate and and uh, think that I would be in that position, trying to figure out where, well, where do I rank? Because uh, I'm a, a very competitive person. I, you know, want to be first. I want to be best. I, I want to do all of those things. And so the only way I can know that I'm first is to make sure that there are people worse off, that there are people lower, that there are people that I am, I am better at, better than. And so... When I look at this conversation, I can see that there is competition amongst the disciples. And, of course, Jesus is saying it's, it's not at all about competition. It's, it's about caring. Um, at Venetia Elementary School, which is where Emily and James um, go to school, they have a group of students uh, that uh, are called the Comfort Crew. And there's a specific bench on the playground, and the job of the comfort crew is if they see another student in their class or in their grade that's having a a bad day or having an issue, it's their job to go up and talk to the student and see if they need a teacher to help them with something, to see if they just need to be listened to, if they just need a hug. And, And this bench 
is the identified place where if a student's having a bad day or having a tough time, they go sit on that bench, and then somebody from the comfort crew is looking and watching for that bench, and when someone sits there, then their job is to go and sit with them and talk to them and hang out with them. Amazing idea, great thing, super glad it exists. What if it was like that at your work with adults? It would be really awkward. And, and if you work, you know, with a lot of people, you probably know the one person who would always show up at that bench because they're always having a bad day. But you know what? It's not awkward at all to kids. When they see someone having a bad day, they want to go make their day better. Because when you think about how a child sees life, it's really one of humility. It's really one of trying to take care of other people. There's no, like, awkward part of, well, they're having a bad day, their head's down, I guess I should go, you know, ask them what's wrong, but then they might actually tell me what's wrong, and then, you know, what do I do then? Kids don't care about that. They're like, oh, that person's sad. Let me go see if I can make them feel better. On, uh, is it Tuesdays or Wednesdays they go to the library? Okay, on Tuesdays, uh, the Murray Hill Library does a a kids event uh, in the afternoon, and Aaron takes them up there, and Tuesday before last, they had a magician. And so I came home from work, and I was talking uh, to the kids about what they did, and they went to the library, and oh my gosh, he, he started out with one ball, and then he did a magic move, and then he had three balls, and then, and so they're telling me all about these, you know, magic acts, and, and then James kind of casually says, I met a new friend, and he's not like the most outgoing person, you know, shocking, um, uh, but I was like, oh, awesome, how, how did you meet a new friend? Oh, we, we're both reading Harry Potter, and we're listening to the audiobooks, and I'm, I'm just a little bit ahead of her. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we played together. Cool. What's her name? I don't know. <laughs> so, so you met a new friend, and you talked about the books that you're reading or listening to, and you played together, and somehow in all of this, you have no idea what her name was. Okay, I mean, we, you know, we're, we're, they're kids. They just, they find other kids and they start playing together. We, we went to the beach yesterday and we waded out into the water and the waves are coming and this other little girl walks up and she's like, hi, what's your name? And Emily says, my name's Emily, this is James. And she goes, hi, I'm Ava. And for the next three hours, they just played together and splashed in the waves, which is great, which is Awesome, and then I was like, okay, guys, it's, you know, 3 o'clock, the storms are coming, we're, we're going to need to go. And they're like, bye, Ava, and she's like, bye, Emily, bye, James, and then we just went on about our way. There's no awkward, how do I interact with this person, how do I do this? They just take care of people. They just care about others. You know, um, you don't have to give a kid, like, uh, a meme of a girl in a dress dancing in a field of sunflowers that that says dance like nobody's watching. They dance like nobody's watching. That's just, that's what they do. They they don't have that that awkward, unsure feeling. And and we see the ability for for kids to be humble and, and not worry about their own appearance 
not worry about their own issues. They just naturally help take care of other people. And I think that, that part of what humility does is it breeds or it uh, flourishes from dependency. And obviously, one of the great things and also one of the worst things about kids is their dependency. For the most part, the kids that we have, the kids that we interact with, know that there is going to be a meal when they come home from school, when they come home from church, when they come home from wherever they are. It's not always the case. As a church, you know, one of the outreach opportunities that we have is, is that we provide the backpacks to the students at Upson, and, and every week we drop off 20, well, technically they come and pick up 20 bags of food, which will last a family through the weekend because they don't have the free breakfast and free lunch that they get through the school. So we're able to try to meet the best we can that need for the families that happen through the weekend. But when we look at dependency, Emily and James are dependent on me for the things that they can't do themselves. So this it's not going to be like some uh, you know quick little parenting thing where you shouldn't teach your kids to be independent, like kind of set that aside. Um, the significant thing about dependency is knowing it's always going to be there. It is really easy for me to be completely dependent on God when I have no control. But when I have a little bit of control, I'm like, well, I mean, God, I, I've got this. You take care of some other people and some other issues. Let me work on this for a little bit. Once I really foul it up, then I'll be totally dependent on you. And I think that with our blessings, with uh, what we have, the fact that, you know, most of us are not worrying about how are we going to eat when we get home, I think that that kind of builds up our ego and that builds up our empowerment. And we say things in our brain like, it's okay, God, I got this. It's okay, creator of the world, I will handle this small situation. And we, we convince ourselves, or at least I convince me, if none of this you know, connects, that's fine. I'll go on to something else. I convince myself that this small thing I don't need God for. I, I can handle this because if I just say it the right way or if I frame this email appropriately or if I have the meeting in the right place and then everything will work out. But it's in those situations where you have some control that it becomes even more important for your relationship with Christ it becomes even more significant for you to grow closer to him that you can relinquish that power, that you can relinquish that desire to be in control, and that you can turn it over to God and say, you know, I, I would really like to do X, Y, and Z, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to let it go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to listen, and I'm going to follow what I believe you are leading me to do it. May be different from what I want to do, and probably in most cases it is in most cases it is different from what I want to do. But in order for me to continue to grow in my relationship with you, I need to know that trust 
is something that I have. And I need to know that dependence is something that will always be there. And what I have found, shockingly enough, is when I give my issue, if I give uh, the conversation, if I give my worry, whatever it happens to be, to God completely, He solves it. Doesn't mean that everything is you know, peaches and rainbows, and that I go skipping out of work every day like, oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. But it does mean that I know whatever the outcome was, that that was his desire, that that was his plan, and that my job was to fulfill his plan. I think the last thing uh, (laughs) that kids bring um, is... They bring curiosity. There are probably three to four other human beings on the planet that ask more questions than James. He wants to know everything. He wants to know what things are. He wants to know why they're like that. He wants to know why they're not like that. But when we look at curiosity, I think uh, maybe in, in different parts of my life or in earlier on uh, in my life, um, questions were not necessarily things that were welcomed. You know, it was, it was rote obedience, it was listen and memorize. But when we look at how are we truly going to, as a five-year-old, learn more about the world, we're going to ask a bunch of questions. And those questions are going to lead us to a bunch more questions, if you're like James. But if we're going to grow in Christ, if we're going to have a strong relationship, we've got to ask questions. We have to find out more about Him, about ourselves, about the connection between us and God, us and Christ, Curiosity is significant. I think that if we are outside the walls, if we're interacting with people and they're asking questions and we're shutting those questions down, we are fouling it up. It doesn't mean you have to have the answers to all those questions, but we have to be welcoming of questions. We have to want to hear the questions. Some of the questions might be things that we had thought and just said, "Ah, I don't know that it's really a great question to ask. I don't know if this is the right time to find that out. When a question is there, an answer is there. May not be an answer that we like. May not be an answer that we would agree with. But questions need to be asked because as you ask questions, you gain understanding. And as you gain understanding, at least with me, you gain love. Because it's when you just, I'm sure, microscopically understand the amount of love it took for God to look at his son and then to look at me and to look at you and to look at every human being on the face of the earth and say, they're worth it. 
they are worth me sending my son. So when we look at why Jesus wants us to be childlike, it's not that he wants us, you know, to run around and pull on his hem of his garment and say, what about this? What about this? How about that? But questions are good. He doesn't want us walking around and saying, I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. I can't do this without you. But dependence is significant. Knowing that he's always going to be there. Regardless of what happens. And knowing that at the end of the day, it's all about love. It's all about caring. It's all about putting the needs of other people before your own. So don't look at this as an, as an insult. God's saying you have to be a little kid to get into heaven. Look at it as a directive, as a way to relinquish the stress and the anxiety and the worry and just focus on him. Let's pray.